You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. Nice. What just happened? <laughs> I don't know. What were you doing? You look like Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> I'm trying to point out a logo, but I guess we're on side. I look at you. Yeah, I actually wore a shirt today, which is nice. <laughs> you guys, too, I see. Yeah. I'm doing my fireside chat again. I got, I got, you look like you're ready to go out on a hot date. I got linen on because it's there's no AC in my apartment here. There's not much AC in Italy, and it's hot. It is hot right now. So if What's you, that, what kind of temps you talking about? I think just 95 and super humid, just yeah. blistering because we're in the hills, you know, so not by the seaside. And the summer's brutal here, but in a couple of weeks after the season, I'll be La Dolce Vita and the Mafi Coast and, and the seaside. It's a tough life, Andy. So would you guys rather have my shirt disappear or would you rather have my background uh, blurry? Uh, I'd like to see, to see your face. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going okay. to talk about a little building today, huh? Let's get into it. You know, building is uh, a big thing. Actually, it's been a big part of uh, Andy's career, really, um, in the real estate industry. He... Uh, started i mean you did some landscape lighting where you helped out builders you sat in your dad's model home yeah. uh, before you even licensed and uh but it's kind of been a, a big thing for you um and all of the different terms and stuff that i think that people run into uh you know don't know a lot of it so i think that was kind of what we wanted to do today was kind of hit on some of those uh, different terms that people are running into good it sounds fun i I, I love to, you know, kind of, as I've been in the career a long time, started out being very sales orientated and, you know, thinking like, how do I read all the right books to sell stuff and turned into reading more technical manuals and becoming more of an educator because people are super smart. They're, they're well-educated. They have money for a reason. And when they meet with you, they need you to guide them, not to sell them. So we've completely changed our strategy on new construction from, Edu or from the, uh, you know, hey, this is what's available. Let's make a deal today to what are you looking for? What kind of energy efficiencies do you want? Um, you know, what kind of sustainable uh, products are you looking for? What level? Because um, there's different levels that you can get involved with. And it, it's just, it's kind of cool. Yeah. But there's a, there's a ton to learn. I was, I don't know if I said it on here, but I've said it a couple times to people that I was kind of just not feeling that great. So I was just kind of laying around and I was starting to think, I'm like, you know, what the heck am I going to do? Like later on, if I'm not like working or we're slowing down or something, I had to have a hobby. And so I'm like, I would really like to do woodworking. I think that would be so cool. I mean, when people are able to do it and whatever, it's all, yeah. So anyways, so I start going on YouTube and I'm like, all right. Nice to meet you. I'm Chris. <laughs> I said, how do you do this? You know? And so I started, I started looking at videos. By the time the third video came around, I said, all right, I'm done. I mean, it's freaking complicated. It's hard. I mean, people are buying their own CNC machines. And so I figured what I'm going to do instead, I'm going to gamble. 
that's much easier. I uh, earlier this year, I just was reminded from across the office how I decided I needed more manly habit, habit or habit habits. Mm. And uh, I so for Christmas I got a welder, and I said I was going to start a welding club in my garage, and oh, well, I have yet I have yet to fire it up. <laughs> exactly. So if anybody's looking for a new welder, I did start buying tools though. I have a a freaking awesome drill. And so I'm just starting, like, getting real good stuff. and I You know, the most important I, tool is your what? radio. The most important tool is the radio. Radio. Yeah. So you get your theme music going, and then, then you get into working with the tools, and you don't get as frustrated. Oh, okay. Interesting. I used to have a guy that did woodworking that would – he would quote how many um, bottles of wine it would take him to make a piece of furniture. That's and this one we were looking at, he had it hand-scrolled along the edge of, the, like, behind you, the countertop. And he had it hand um, imprinted the uh, one of the Beatles songs along the whole edge of the cabinet, and he goes, "This took me four cases of wine to make this cabinet." Enjoyed <laughs> it. Yeah, well, it was a sixty thousand dollar cabinet too. But what is the pitch for someone to do new construction or build instead of just buying, you know, a place that's already been built? You want Andy to sell somebody on building versus buying existing? See. Before we get into these terms. Well, so here, here's the, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. And for those of you that don't know what that is, that, that's the summarized version of what, showing, showing our age here a little bit. But the, the idea there is that um, new construction, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons. For, first reason I think people are building right now is because they can actually uh, design the house to, for the way they live. So you're seeing houses with gymnasiums. You're seeing two offices. You're seeing you know, steam rooms, we're seeing workout centers, we're seeing gourmet kitchens with double ovens because of some people really have, you know, been inspired uh, over the last, you know, 18 months to actually, you know, get into a, a new hobby like cooking. So there, there's lots of different reasons why, you know, the houses are designed for them or, you know, they want a fireplace and, and in their last house, it was too expensive or cost prohibitive to put that fireplace in. And so people are doing those things, number one. Number two, I would say, is the energy efficiencies that are gained with these houses. You can build, in some cases, twice the house and have less utility expenses um, with the houses as well. Everything's high energy efficiencies. Um, you know, lots the, the insulations are better. The just overall products are, are designed to last um, in, in, in a mid to high end quality caliber builder. Um, there are some builders out there that use, you know, what I consider to be five-year products because um, they just, they look horrible after a couple of years on the house. But you know, if you ask your builder, like, how many years is this product going to last? This is a 20 to 30 year product. And that's the range that I kind of stay in for building. Um, second or the third thing uh, when you get into it is, you know, so now that you have these houses that are built uh, or they're designed custom, they're energy efficient. The, the best thing is the value because now you're getting the maximum life out of every product in that house. It's shiny, brand new. It's under warranty and it's you're going to get the maximum life out of it. So What's kind of nice is that you you may spend more to get into that house, but now your expenses are going to be lower because you don't have the furnace or the water heater or the dishwasher or the whatever breaking on you um, or windows leaking or whatever the, the issue might be. Um, so you get to avoid that. And then in most cases, um, you're paying lot taxes for the first 12 to 18 months, depending on you know what time of the year you build. Um, so you get a break in the new payment. Um, and, and a lot of people just like new and under warranty. Sorry, that wasn't actually short, was it? That actually, <laughs> that actually got a little longer. Sorry. Yeah, but those are 
those are good points. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of people just say because it's it's new. You know, you get what you want. Uh, you can paint the rooms the color that you want. We're we're finding. Um, we're, I mean, our builder deals with the upper upper bracket, and I, I think what, what we're saying is that you know it's it's something that you're investing in for yourself for the future, and it's not necessarily that everything you put into it is going to get a return on it. You know, people are building and and doing what they want and what works for them, and when people are able to build in the the million to three million range. You know they're able to go build something else somewhere else exactly the way they want it so when it comes around to turn around and sell it you almost get to a point where it's you know hey i paid 1.5 for it but maybe the market's only going to give you 1.2 and that's just yeah. just reality andy looks like a hologram i know he remember quantum i can change my background you guys do you want something a little uh Less yeah, looks like he came out of dust or something. Still that dust. I'm on fire, guys. Help me. <laughs> well, you know what I did is I'm a dummy. I got a green screen behind me. I wore a blue shirt. So it turns my blue shirt into a green screen. So if I if I take away the fuzzy, I disappear. Wow. All right. So no I got worries. that going, which is nice. And I have to deal with this. The sun part. Anyways, let's get into these terms. Do some little education. I'm gonna throw up. A Is this better, Chris? CC. CC. Beautiful. All right. I'm gonna throw up some photos and some definitions, and you guys just talk about it and educate the the listeners. The first one. Deflection. Deflection. Ooh. Andy, you want to start on that one? Oh, look at that. Nice. Yeah, I will. So nice. deflection is usually a term that's used when we're talking about things like floor trusses um, when, you know, they're deflection, meaning that it can bend and it's designed to give. Um, for example, uh, you know, the when we build like a kitchen area or a bathroom area where the weight load is heavier in that designated area, they may double up on trusses or they may have to put a lower brace below it. So that you don't have a lot of deflection, meaning like I walk into the room and also you're going to actually have the, the the floor bouncing, if you will, as we, you know, the floor will bounce. And it's it's not failing. It's kind of like the airplane wing. You know, an airplane wing can deflect to the point of where they say it can almost touch on the top. It can flex that much and it, it doesn't compromise the integrity of the, of the product. It's actually engineered to do that. So the same thing with floor uh, trusses. Um, you know, when you get into things like dimensional lumber and where it's solid and there's not a lot of deflection and you get bounce on your floor, it's a little concerning. Um, that, then you may want to firm that up a little bit. But anyway, that's how I've, you know, used the word deflection. Um, I, I was thinking the same exact thing. I mean, and I've been in houses where you get a lot of deflection and it is uh, people get freaked out by it. Yep. All right. What's the next one? Grade, grading. Um one of the most important thing for water issues is is grading uh, around your home, and um, wow, look at that picture. But anyways, um, that exactly it's, we can't see each other. <clears throat> but you know, any any time you have water problems, that's the first thing people go to look for is uh, that the grade is is going away from your home and doing that. And when you're building new construction, sometimes you'll get some settling in along that so you just got to kind of keep an eye on that and watch that and, and make sure that the water goes away from the house 
The other thing I'm going to say about graininess is be real careful where you're planting your trees. They look really cute when they're close to the house at the, at, at the start because they're small. But as they get bigger, they start invading the house. So to me, it's get it away from the house. Get those trees away from the house. So so keeping in the new construction realm, your builder will submit a packet to the city, um, you know, the blueprints, all the engineering and everything else. They also submit a grading plan, which is how the soil um, shall, uh, you know, uh, when, when water hits, where the water's gonna go. How are you gonna grade it to get it away from the house, not go on the neighbors, not puddle or pond or pool, and then what they'll do is they actually will do an as-is survey, and then they come back out and they do uh, grading approve. You know, they approve the grading plan um, on site. So, you know, there's been times where you grade the yard and it fails because they're like, hey, this is off by four inches. And you think, oh, they'll never do that. They totally do it. Wow. And they go out there and shoot lasers on it and prove that the, all the soil is the way that it's proposed on your grading plan. So what's kind of cool about that, too, though, is that, you know, now you're basically having, you know, several sets of engineers look at this, make recommendations that are best for you. And sometimes what's funny, though, Chris, is that, um, or, or Nick, too, um, we do a grading plan. People are like, this is stupid. You know, why would we want, you know, like we had one house over in Dayton where the backyard sloped down towards the house. And so what they did is they kind of put a V shape. So it goes down, hits the V, and then the V they shaped to go around the house towards the front. So all the water would hit and then go around to the front yard. These people were like, we don't want this house. I mean, why would we want a house with a big V in it? We can't even play kickball back here. And so you do have to be a little careful. Um, you know, make sure to look at that grading plan on the front end. If there's topography to that lot, there's probably going to be controlled topography um, when you build or there may be retaining wall requirements. So grading and, and uh, can be very expensive and can be frustrating if you don't pay attention to it. So I, I always say pay attention. Yeah, good points. Okay, in plane. Uh, I think that's interesting. I think a lot of us uh, find out um, that I, I'm going to refer to where floorboards meet, you know, together. And, you know, you get a little, just a little piece that's not that's not right. I mean, then after you put your pad in, your carpet in, I mean, it seems like you hit that spot every single time. And that whole in-plane thing starts at the very beginning. I mean, it starts with uh, the block and making sure that, that that stuff is is perfect. And that's the one thing. I mean, you... You're starting from the very beginning. If you if you start off bad, it's going to eventually you know show up on the things that you actually see and, and uh, the finishing part of it. So I think it's uh, that that's where the real craftsmen come in. You can tell the difference between uh, you know uh, good framers. Framers, I think framers are uh, huge. Obviously, the concrete guys are as well. But the the framers can really kind of here's some ills that happen uh, on the foundation part of it. And uh, it's amazing some of the times what you can do it. And then on the opposite side, you start seeing walls that are turned and, and what lumber they choose to use and, and caring for your, um, like having some integrity about your the work that you do and refuse those, you know, those two by fours or two by sixes that aren't mm -hmm. perfectly straight or aren't gonna work. Yeah, you know, and a lot of times, you know, when you're, when you're actually having your house framed, um, they frame the houses outside, Chris. I don't know if you knew this. And uh, so we have the elements. And you put flooring material down. Depending on the grade of or the quality level of the flooring material that's purchased by the builder, 
some of these uh, materials usually are rated for what they call a 30-day exposure rating. So they're outside, they're sitting there, they're designed to be rained on for 30 days straight and still not be compromised. But what happens is on some of the OSB um, orientated strand board, you know, chip board or whatever you want to call it, the big chips, um, they use that for flooring material. And what happens is where the, the boards butt together, they actually will swell when they get wet because the moisture hasn't had a chance to get out of there or it deforms the board. And so what happens is you'll see a builder come in there and to keep everything on plane, like we're talking about, they'll grind those butts all the way around each sheet of plywood to make everything nice and flat. I've also seen where they've cut a piece out and replaced that piece. They have to do under bracing. Um, so the idea there is, is that, you know, um, there are better quality products. I know we switched over to a product called Advantech that has like the Gorilla Glue and it's designed to be a firm floor that, you know, actually adds, you know, wind shear to the house. Um, they glue it down, they screw it down. And then if it gets wet, the, it doesn't swell as much on the, on the butt joints. But the product is so superior. And, you, you know, we're probably paying six, seven hundred bucks to a fifteen hundred bucks more per house to do it. But when you walk through a house and it goes creak, 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 you know, not only talking about the plane, but talking about the quality of what they walk on every day. Super important to pay attention to. Um, the only other thing I'd say with on plane, um, you see where you guys switch different materials on flooring. So if you, for example, pick, you know, builder quality level carpet and then you put ceramic tile in you got a three quarters of an inch, um, what they call transition from one material to another because there's subfloor. So what I always say is this, if you want your, your main floor to fill flow easy, you got to pick all the materials of the same thicknesses. So if you jump from carpet to hardwood or hardwood to tile or whatever, you're going to have transitions throughout your entire house. So things don't feel like they're planned out. So there's times where we've even elevated carpeted like dens um, where we'll put another sh sheet of three quarter inch OSB down to get the carpet up to the same level as the tile floor in the foyer, but it's it just it's money. True. Sorry well, about these terms. Yeah, <laughs> being level—that's a very important little tool there uh, to be level, uh, right there. So I, I mean, I think that, that to me that's pretty uh, self-explanatory um, that you know you have to be able to get things level, and they, and I mean that's something that you see on the job site all the time they're constantly putting it level when they're when they're actually putting up the walls and putting them yeah. in the place i mean that's a one guy that's one guy's job you know but you know what what honestly does happen i mean in most houses even the most expensive houses i challenge you to take a level and walk around your house and show me that at least 50 percent of your walls are perfectly level they're not um it, it's more visual than and corners are the most important thing in the world on you know the, the when you walk upstairs the only thing you really your eye grabs is the corner does the corner look perfectly cubed and square then you think okay the hallway straight that hallway could be going like this or like this or like this um those walls when they get weight loads put on them or somebody's setting a truss and that one that wall down there is a little wobbly it's a freestanding wall and it gets moved over a quarter of an inch and all of a sudden that's within industry tolerance by the way I don't know if you know that, but they're, they're not, not every wall is going to be perfect. So if you walk around with a, a level on your house when it's being framed, you're going to find a lot of walls that are naturally and within industry specs that are not perfectly straight up and down. So if that's important to you, I always say this, make sure to have a meeting with the builder and with the framer before you start framing and let them know that that's important to you. And they may say, you know what, we're going to work with you. We need to charge you a little bit more because we only got paid to put up the walls to industry standards. And, and I know that sounds crazy, but if you want a house that's perfect, you're using human beings 
and natural products, you're not going to get a perfect house ever. Just, just my opinion. I mean, it, it'll feel perfect, but I'm just saying, like, right. if you want everything to be exact. It's, it's not a computer yeah, chip. Never it's gonna happen. Yeah. yeah. It's still humans. Or, or wall, let, let's say this: every once in a while, you get one of these rogue studs that wants to go whoop and curve, and all of a sudden the wall pops and the nail pops. And we've had to rip studs out of walls before because they, just for whatever reason, that that stud wants to be, you know, shaped like a C, and it's fighting the wall panel. And so we just go in there and we either cut it out or we shave it, put the sheetrock back, and and you get pretty darn close though. How about a pitch, Andy? You usually see that with a like a. a well, this is a stair, but like a roof pitch, um, you see, I mean, you hear about that a lot. You know, you got a well, pitch. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of building covenants are, um, I feel like I'm dominating the conversation. I apologize. The uh, You are, but you should be because you know it inside out. Well, thank you. Um, you know, a lot of covenants, meaning the, the developer, to get the city to approve the development, they have to make a pitch and saying, here's what we're going to design. Here's what caliber of homes we're going to build, and this is what the continuity of the development will have. For an example, one of the biggest things is roof pitch. So if you have a 12-12, it's almost, you know, a 90-degree straight up, and then all the way down to, like, a, I've seen people use three three 12 pitches, like over top of sport courts or, you know, maybe a, a whatever part of the house that just meanders out. Um, but a lot of times it's required. I think the average I'd see is a 7-12 or an 8-12 pitch roof, um, and then in some of the really high-end developments, they do want to see, you know, 10, 12 pitch roofs for anything that's faced the gables facing the streets. So it rises like a 10, 12, it rises 10 inches over one foot. Correct. Yep. So that's a 10, 12. So if it was an 8, 12, it would rise eight inches over that foot. So the, the lower the number, the less the pitch is. But there's some design styles yep. like uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. I mean, in, in some cases, I mean, it's completely flat roof. You know, yeah, like they're right down there, like a three twelve pitch. The you know one of the other things that pitches, Chris, is um, that a lot of people I tell them to pay attention to is like somebody will say, "I want to walk out no matter what," meaning that the lower level basement has a patio door. So you know if you can imagine that here's the water table, here's your basement floor. We can't go any lower in some cases, you know. So we can't push that eight foot basement into the water. You'd have a flooded basement. So we have to keep the basement eight feet high up here. What ends up happening is the house sticks up out of the ground. We've all seen those houses, right? So as you go higher, now you have the main floor of the house and you have the garage floor. And so the garage floor sometimes has to be dropped. They call that dropping a garage. And they do that because of the plane or the angle to the street, the percentage. They don't want it to go over 10%. I mean, 10% is almost straight up on a driveway. Slippery, you're going to slide down it if it gets icy. So that's why you'll see some houses where they look weird where the garage is way down, the house is way up. And so plane or pitch of the driveway is very important. We like to see, you know, under 6% pitch on a driveway for, for normal use. In some cases, like Minnetonka, where there's big hills in your building, you may have to do a 10% pitch to get up to the house. But then you have a nice flat area once you get up to the top of the hill. Truth. Truth. Um, plane. We kind of talked about in plane, but planing is, I mean, it's just that flat surface. <laughs> uh, Let's talk garage floors, Chris. That, that's an easy one. With plane, you know. Go ahead. Go. What do you want so, to well, do? For an example, like a normal garage floor, 
you know, everybody thinks they want it flat or like a basement floor is flat. A garage floor will pitch towards the garage door. So if anything spills, water, you know, uh, ice plops off yeah. your car, melts, it's going to roll towards the garage doors. If you're going to heat your garage, that's wonderful in the summer. Um, you know, but as soon as you go to winter, they'll, they'll change the actual plane to actually be pitched to the middle. And a lot of times where it's warm, right, they try to put it in the center so the, the drains don't freeze. The French drains that run along the garage doors look like a great idea and they, everybody thinks they're cool. But my God, they can freeze so easy and they, you know, unless your garage is really warm. Um, and also you have an ice cream on your garage. Sometimes you got to heat those drains. There's right. heating coils just like on your roof. Yeah. And a lot of people will ask, they'll say, well, why don't we just put the French drain along the garage or it looks cooler? That's what they do in commercial applications. Well, that might be because of weight loads or the, the level or the heaviness of the trucks coming in. Um, or they don't want the actual floor to pitch, um, you know, or, or have a, 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 a center pitch because, Maybe they work on trucks and they're trying to level the trucks when they're working on them or whatever. So the idea there is, is that with a residential garage, a lot of builders like to take the double stall where the, the main homeowners are pulling in and out and they pitch it to the middle. And that's a lot of times what you're paying for. The, the plumbing is a couple hundred dollars to, to put it in. And most, most cities, municipalities now have uh, drain systems that can handle um, oil, um, you know, antifreeze, salt, um, getting into their, their systems. Um, and they can process that because a lot of people question us. They go, "What? Why are you guys? Isn't that illegal?" And you're like, "No, actually, it's not anymore. It's it's completely legal because the city's expected to do it anyway. So they've increased the capacities of what they can pull out of the water." So, interesting. I did not know that part. Look at that. That's what. That's why he's that guy. I bet you. I bet you. You do have one of those hats, don't you, Andy? Of course. <laughs> of course you do. And a tool belt, especially when the insurance companies are walking around. Totally, exactly. Okay, a plum. Oh, that's that's a purple fruit. Kind of plum like, bob. Yeah. This is a plum bob he's showing you right there. That's a plum what? Plum bob. Were, I thought they were purple. Yes, the ones that you eat, which I recommend you don't eat the one he showed. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's just to show, you know, a lot of times plum bobs are used in applications where electricians are trying to center uh, a light fixture on the center of the room. And what's funny is that I know the electricians use them. They they make a mark on the floor that everybody agrees to, you know, six feet this way, eight feet that way. They put the X on the floor. They take the plumb bob, go straight up until it hangs right over top of the X you put on the floor. And that's where they mount that uh, chandelier or whatever. And, and so what happens is visually on the ground is different than the ceiling. So I always warn people, you know, like, especially like in dining rooms, where you have like maybe a box ceiling or something like that, and you're hanging the fixture right in the center of the box. Well, then you you put furniture into application, and all of a sudden the furniture needs to be moved a little bit away from the wall because it's too tight. And all of a sudden the table's not centered on the room. You, you, you know what I'm saying? It's, so it's like unless you have a gigantic dining room, if it's a tighter dining room like most people have, where it's just enough to fit the table, um, it I always say go to can lights. And then if you have you want a visual chandelier. Just be flexible that you may have it hanging, and then they have the old hook and rehook where it hangs over to the side. Um, that that sometimes will keep it centered on your table. Interesting. You do you sit that's and it, hang out? Do you What's actually that? do you actually go to the houses and hang out and watch them build them? I mean, is that where you kind oh, of? Yeah, I love, that's my favorite part. Yeah. I love I love going out there from everything from the you know. The, a lot of times the we, we do poured foundations a majority of the time. Those guys are so busy working and big trucks going around, they don't have a whole lot of time to chit-chat. 
Um, they're following the plans. Um, your house is only a square usually as your foundation. So a lot of times, you know, you see people talking about things like, oh, I want to do a panelized house where they've pre-framed the wall panel in a factory and bring it out there. there a lot of, lot of huge advantages, Chris, with that. The, they don't waste as much lumber that way. There's efficiencies with, you know, being nailed in a controlled temperature environment. You know, every, nothing is warped or twisted. So, but when they get out to the house, I've seen this where they're hauling in the big panels and they're trying to set the panels. And all of a sudden they hit the one corner, it goes like this. And they have to hand frame and pull things apart. And that's where you still need that skilled labor on site. Um, you know, because sometimes the foundations aren't perfect. They're really, 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 really close or what we call within industry tolerance. But if you bring out a perfect wall, perfect cube to set on a foundation, there's very few times foundations are perfectly square. There's angles and there's cutouts and there's whatever. And again, you know, sometimes things settle a little bit. So I think what's interesting too, Andy, is that, I mean, just kind of the differences in how agents are involved in the building process. Now, for, for my uh, builder, I have, I have to know enough to be dangerous, but my whole job is to just get them to the builder and let them do that kind of stuff. But like in your um, price point, what you do, you almost become that person that brings them through the whole process. So the more you know, I mean, because in that more production type, I mean, you guys do um, custom stuff, but more, yeah. you do a lot of them. And I think those builders rely more on their realtors to know, you know, like what you're talking about and being able to um, understand it. You're almost like a surrogate for the builder. But in my case, I mean, the, that builder is the one that is doing all the stuff that you're doing. Yeah, you know, I think that every process is is intentionally designed to be different and you know we always jokingly say well you know you build a house for 700 and you can only we can only afford to give you so much hand holding if you want to build that same size house for 800 we literally have coffee with you every morning at the cafe and uh, we'll talk about the plans and what we dreamt about last night and i mean we'll give you all that time but it just it's it's a time equation so if you want a builder that's going to be on-site hands-on there, there has to be more margin on that house for the builder for the time consumed you know, consumed by that builder and expertise consumed versus a production orientated builder will provide value customization, but they're going to have limited windows of time that they can give you. Um, if, if any at all, sometimes we don't even meet the builders you're building with their representative and you, you maybe meet the, the designers um, and you never actually meet the builder, which is very common in production builders. Um, but, but here's what I would say to you. So breaking down the building process, one of the things that I can relate to is the like Chris does with the custom build process. You know, it, it can take a year and, and there's windows of hurry up and wait where you hurry up and sign a purchase agreement and you wait six weeks to get your plan back or four weeks or sometimes it's two weeks, but sometimes it's a month. So we have to give everything windows, healthy windows that are reasonable within our industry tolerance to, to perform. So the, the architect's not just sitting there or the, the drafter is not just sitting there waiting for the next job to come in. They're not like the fry cook waiting for the next load of fries to drop. They may have 30 projects in front of you. So, you know, spring preview, I always say get out there before the spring preview starts and and right, you know, between that January and February, it's a great time because everybody's getting ready for the busy season, but they're not necessarily always busy that time of the year. So you get things done a little quicker. Um, but the process, so you dig the hole. Now, what I would say is most people that are micromanagers either by your job or maybe not organically or intentionally, but you're just a micromanager. 
It happens. It's not a bad thing. It can be a good thing. But understand that everybody's given a window. So the the, the excavation, um, get that done between Monday and Thursday. And, you, you know, they do that because it might rain three days in a row and it's a mud pile. Or those are the things that kind of they have to put windows on items. So when we're managing the process, just understand that sometimes those individual subs are given windows of time. Sometimes they're all on top of each other. And sometimes there's nobody at your house for two weeks. And that's just because of the way the schedules have to work. Um, everything is in sequence and certain things can't be done until other certain things are completed or inspected. And then uh, that that's part of the process. So people that are very, uh, well, it's Wednesday, where's the, the electrician? They gotta be done by next Wednesday. Sometimes that electrician will show up on Tuesday with eight guys and kick your house out in three hours. So, you know, that's the that's the world we're in right now. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, but there are some electricians that will show up on that Wednesday and you guys, and they work for four days straight to get that same amount of work done. But it just, you know. You know, we talked a little bit about rafters, um, but that is, I, I mean, basically your roof. I haven't done rafters in 20 years. Yeah, yeah. We do we do trusses. You know the industry. So rafters. Are, correct. Yeah. You know a lot of times hand rafters are where they take a two by six, two by eight, and that that takes some skill. By the way, if you find a framer that knows how to hand frame rafters, keep them. They're they're fantastic. They're skilled. They know how to cut stair risers. I mean, those are all skills that we've kind of the industry's kind of let fade off into the sunset, and a lot of that's being done by the factories. The trusses are ordered. They're engineered, they're delivered on site. Same thing with sometimes the stair risers are pre-cut based on the calculations and the, you know, because the, the the more skilled people are, the more they yeah. want, right? So anyway, so long story short is rafters, a lot of times, unless it has to be hand-framed like on a gable or something like that, rafters are actually an old school term. Now it's replaced with, with uh, trusses. A roof truss. Yeah, roof. And I'll see it sometimes, uh, the rafters is like, um, two roofs kind of like coming together and there's a little transition point in between where they'll do some hand framing and create that. Well, or like you, I'm sure in some of your high end projects, you've had timber framed homes, which are so stunningly beautiful. And all of that is hand framed rafters that are logs that are carved and shaped. Um, and Oh my God, there's nothing better than. You know how they do it. Oh, there's that's, my, really that's my retirement dream is having a timber framed home. Um, on the lake, you know, I saw one uh, not too long ago that was, you know, sometimes you get super woodsy and it just gets, I mean, it's woodsy everywhere, but they did such a great job of um, using different products, but it was so neat, super cool. Solar yeah. gain, that happens a lot when you're trying to determine how to uh, position your home, you know, and with windows and things like that. And obviously, solar gain in, in our northern climate is a big thing um, from you know in the winter you know that you're getting that extra heat but then obviously in the summer um, that's a little problem but what I've heard with people do is that um, they certainly they they get the trees that you know not like the pine trees and stuff so you get normal trees so it blocks that sun in uh, the summer so you're not getting that heat thrown on you but in the winter when all those leaves go then that that sun shines in so designing your house is uh, real important in how you do that. Amen. And I'll tell you what, the other cool thing, Chris, is the window manufacturers nowadays are so smart. 
And not only did everybody's like, well, you have argon gas. I'm like, yeah, we also have gas powered cars. Um, you know, it's kind of like an industry minimum. Not um, so long, you know, We're all going to go bye-bye. Yeah, yeah. And it, but, but the idea there is this. Now these windows are getting smarter, not for a ton more. They'll put coatings on the insides of the windows, which has been around for years. Nothing new there, but the, the science behind it has changed. Where the angle of the sun in the summer, where it's higher, um, they make the windows reflect the heat of the rays and actually will limit the UV rays that get in. As the sun in the winter is down farther, it actually is designed to absorb the heat. And I'm telling you, just based on the pitch. So they designed these windows to have, you know, these, I don't know how they do it, but obviously people way smarter than us. Probably 3M has it, the market corner. They seem to be full of smart people that uh, know how to do these films. And and they film the windows so that they, they allow this. What a fantastic... Uh, improvement. I mean, Windows usually only have an R4 or R5 rating, which is about as low as you can get for energy efficiency. I mean, basically, you know, you're only as good as your Windows, as we always say in so, the industry. Andy, the higher the R rating, the better it is, right? Yep. 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 Basically, you want your house like a Yeti cooler, like I would say, where it's just ridiculous to hold ice for three, four days. But what the problem is, is that you want to be able to see outside. Yeah, there you go. And not not Eeyore again. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I know. I should have. We should invite him on the podcast so I could restock my shelves again. Yeah. Um, the the uh, the idea with the the anyway. So you take a Yeti cooler and you punch a bunch of holes in it because you want light in your Yeti cooler, and then you want to be able to get in and out so you have a door on your Yeti cooler. And the problem is, is that that all lets out the cold or or, or you know lets the heat in. Right. And so anyway. Yeah. Oh, true. Magic formula. Yeah. Square. Obviously, you're. Uh, you want everything in square. Uh, you hear that term a lot, and that uh, basically makes everything level. Did you see that? If you look at that photo, see, I'm anal retentive with this stuff. So, like tile lines, grout lines, see how the grout lines there, like right above the word corner, aren't lined up perfectly? That yeah. would drive me nuts. I'd have them cut that floor out and redo that whole floor. So, what they're doing nowadays is with that kind of exact application, they use spacers. And the spacers, if they don't use spacers, I'm like, get out of here. I said, I don't care how good you are, how long you've been doing tile. I want spacers. And I said, people expect that grout line to be straight. So when you walk into a room, if the grout line follows the wall and then it, for whatever reason, it's not a perfect wall and the pieces get bigger, it makes it feel like there's deflection or, or whatever, right? Or the, the walls aren't straight. The flooring is so important to the naked eye for the visual representation of being in square and everything being plumb, just like the corners are. And, and I don't think we give those guys enough credit. When they actually lay a floor on an imperfect floor and it looks straight and you, you feel like it's a mental thing. Same with, you know, like a mantle. A mantle can be off over eight-foot-wide mantle. Even if it's off just a sixteenth of an inch, you're going to see that visually, you know, when you look across the room. You're going to go, am I off or is that fireplace off? And I'm telling you, being plumb, being square, being, um, you know, is, is ridiculously important. I think that was an Italian square tile job there. Hey, forget about it. <laughs> That's no big deal. Yeah. I drink a little vino. Relax. <laughs> what happened to our little Italian on here, by the way? Easy. I'm, I'm sweating. I'm I'm oh, trying yeah. to survive. He's got armpits. Yeah, it's better if I go off camera. You look like you're in a sauna over there. All right. Uh, a truss. Uh, Andy, you were just talking about that. You know. Yep. And there it is right there. Yep. And, you know, different trusses, like a roof truss, um, you know, they're designed in different states for different applications. 
like down in Arizona, they don't have their trusses rated for snow loads, for an example. You know, in Minnesota, we do. So they expect another, you know, 10,000 pounds to be put on that roof. So what's interesting is that people say, oh, yeah, I put, you know, my old car parts up in the attic. And you're like, oh, my God. And then you see, like, the, the garage, like, going like this or the floor or the roof, you know, hanging in. Here's the thing, guys. Trusses are designed to hold the weight of the truss, the shingles, and the snow. That's it. They're not designed, unless you pay extra, to have that top or the bottom, uh, you know, piece of the truss upgraded. Even do like a two by six for a couple hundred bucks. Then it can handle the weight load of an interior. You know, like if you cut it like for a room or for a storage, they call it a storage truss um, above your garage or above your house. Because you look at trusses, Chris, even in these big, beautiful two stories or whatever, and you look up and you're like, my gosh, that ceiling looks like it's 30 feet higher than the, the bedroom below. What a waste of space. Why don't we put something up there? You sure could. You just have to plan ahead and put like a storage truss. Right. Yeah. It's so we many. Saw Chevy Chase, right? We're in that in the Christmas vacation. And he's up in the attic and he's walking along and he falls through the floor and the boards are hitting him in the face. Yeah. yeah avoid that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, foundation walls. Um, uh, obviously, that's that's a poured foundation right now. There's also block foundations. And then... Uh, Andy, are you doing anything with those insulated concrete forms? The ICFs, no, not yeah. not currently. But they they're a cool idea, man. I tell you, I've I've looked long and hard at that product, and I think it's just honestly just a little bit cost prohibitive. Um, but I'll tell you what, different cities, different builders will argue: Do you want your foundation to be cold, or do you want your foundation to stay warm? Meaning, what side of the do you want to put the insulation on? Some cities want both sides to be insulated. So there's no, because if you have a hot and a cold, something's trying to go through something to get to the other side, right? So usually it's the warm trying to get to the cold and then you get frost or whatever else and it causes water, moisture, whatever. And vapor can get through some pretty small cracks and, and then vapor turns into you know ice. Um, so they, what they try to do is they insulate both inside and outside and that ICF form, which is basically like an old styrofoam Coors cooler that they put you know uh, pieces inside of it and they stack them like like uh, Legos, and then they pour them and core fill them, um, and so you have insulation on the outside and the inside. So you'd have a pretty pretty nice foundation system, I would think. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I'm I'm curious of what that cost really is to do that because I think it makes it actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, we we the last one I bid out on a, yeah on a three thousand square foot two story we added about eighty five hundred bucks. As, as a real good estimate. Okay. It's not bad. Right. But we just don't have a history, and we have to warranty that foundation for 10 years as a building company. So I don't know if we're willing to take risks on things that we don't know about, and we can't waive it. So even if you as a consumer come in and say, I want this, the builder is still required to provide warranty for that. So if the builder doesn't know about it, the builder will probably have to charge you more for it, assuming that you know it, it catastrophically fails, and they, they're going to be responsible for the, the fix. Do you think Nick's referring to us on this one? What? Studs? Studs? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sure he is. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah maybe maybe uh, the cripple stud. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, but studs, what's uh, important about those? Number one, they've gotten a little more expensive. Uh, number two, that uh, the studs are straight, and uh, that, that, that really helps in the construction of a home. 
Yeah, lumber's lumber's readily available. Uh, you know, here's one of the cool things about wood versus steel. So I used to be in the lumber business right out of college, and we would do these big mill tours, and they would show us the sustainability of the wood. They they would have this big you know million acre of land, and they'd say we start in this corner, and by the time we get all the way to this corner, we're 150 years from now, and then we can go back to this corner and start again. And we only produce so much product. So some years, you know, when the economies are slower, they produce more than what's needed. And in other years, they don't have enough. But they do consistently have product coming every year. It's, it's like a crop. It's fantastic. It's sustainable. It's trees that are growing produce oxygen. I mean, there's so many benefits to it. Yeah. Now, if you love that tree, you know, they're like we used to go out to these mills in California. And there would literally be, you know, the people jokingly say tree huggers. There was literally people that would chain themselves to trees because a tree they thought would be a thousand year old tree and they didn't want you to cut it down. And what the, what the forestry industry has done over the years is they, they work around that individual. They leave them chained to that tree because sometimes people would literally chain themselves to trees for months and they wouldn't come down from the trees and they'd just work around them and leave the tree there. And when the people would leave, then they'd take that tree. But the, the idea there was, is that, you know, it's, it's hard um, in today's world, the old growth is protected. Just for those of you that are curious, um, new growth, which is what you're seeing. And if you look at a tree or you look at a stud, you look at the rings, meaning that, you know, where you look at a stud from the side, you'll see the natural grooves of the tree. The bigger the rings, usually the, the younger the growth of that tree, the tighter the rings, the older the growth, and the longer, you know, take like some of those old redwoods would have rings that were so small because they were three, four, five thousand years old, some of these trees, that you wouldn't even be able to see hardly the rings. It was clear-cut redwood, super valuable. Um, but the, um, by the way, uh, old farmhouses a lot of times are done with redwood, clear one by four redwood. So before you burn down that old farmhouse, check your, your siding. It might be worth yeah. 10 grand. You can re-mill it and um, yeah, there's buyers that want it. So anyway. You can replane it, you know, yeah. make it even. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and they strip the, they strip the stuff, Yeah, some of that stuff can be so cool. And I mean, for inside applications and, um, you know, the, the man caves, she sheds, all that kind of stuff. Neat yeah, stuff. But, you know, kind of going back to that, the wood, I mean, I tell you what, not to keep going on in this, but the industry is self-sustainable. They're trackable. Some of these products now that you put into your new houses, they can actually show you a serial number that will track it back to the actual forest they harvested it from. And they show you what they're doing to continue the growth pattern of that forest. Super awesome. And if there's ever like a trout creek or something like that, they're not allowed to touch it. There's buffer zones around those creeks. Those trees are not touchable. Um, or if you ever see a forest where they're cleaning up all of the, the fallen trees, they do that for a reason. Because if there's ever a forest fire, which is natural, it's, they've had forest fires before we had people on earth, and the forest fires burn all that underbrush, a tree can sustain that as long as it doesn't get too hot. When there's a bunch of dead, you know, like campfire wood laying around, those fires keep burning for days and days and they can kill the trees versus if they have a flash fire that goes through the forest, burns the branches off the bottoms and the trees keep growing. What was, was it? Gonna, what were we talking about again? I, I was going to say, sorry, most passionate I'd see you was talking about Redfin last week, but you love construction. <laughs> I, well, you know, the thing is, is that I think it's a lot of people give it a hard time and say, you know, Hey, what a pretentious industry. And you cut down trees for the, no, no, we're humans. We have to live, right? Unfortunately, we haven't figured everything out yet. But the one thing that is figured out is sustainability with lumber. And it is a renewable resource. It grows back and they plant it back. And so you can feel very good about yourself. Actually, if you're environmentally conscious, you should be buying wood. 
So when you go to steel, the disadvantage of steel, even though it sounds like a better product, number one, in Minnesota, they won't let us do it currently without special provisions, um, steel stud houses, because of a lot of different reasons. But they have to fire up the old coal mill to get the electricity to fire up the plant to melt the steel to do that. I mean, there's so much pollution that's created in creating like metal studs that there's there's limitations on some of that stuff. So um, anyway. Let's do one more, then you guys talk about some uh, happenings in the market. Sheathing, I think you said. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, a, a sheet, there you go. I mean, there's different. There's only 600 bucks worth of uh, sheathing right there. <laughs> How much? No, I joke. We're about 54 bucks a sheet right now on that yeah. four by eight sheet. I heard it's getting better, though. Yeah, Monday it started dropping, but it, it's still. It went from let's say a hundred thousand per house down to twenty five thousand, and it used to be thirty. So it's still coming down, which is good, but it, it was it's still ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. But uh, hopefully there's some insight. But yeah, so sheathing is what they put on, um, you know, prior to putting on your your cladding, which is um, any type of you know what you see as uh, siding, a vinyl or a, a lap siding or a stucco or brick or whatever. But the sheathing is the the first part. Then would it they protect that uh, with a vapor barrier on the outside? Yeah, there there's a perm rating on that stuff, you know. So OSB actually has the same perm rating as like a four mil poly. So meaning that with all the resins and the glues in it, vapor can't get through it. But they still, in some cases, builder will put on um, like Tyvek for an example, and Tyvek or house wrap. Um, and what that change? What's cool about house wrap is that it stops the rain from coming through. But allows the vapor to exit. So you know between the two materials. So it's it's, I mean whoever whichever scientist invented that boy hats off to you super smart. Um, allows because that's the biggest challenge we have with houses is like when you see oh it's a moldy house or a mildew or there's moisture issues. That's the biggest thing we challenge or, or face our the challenge that we're faced with is you know in houses when we make them that energy efficient that airtight and then we mechanically air exchange the air out of the house. And then somebody says, well, I don't want my hot air going outside, not recognizing that there's an 80% retention rate because the cold air passes by the warm air and actually heats the air coming into the house while the cold air is going out. But people unplug them all the time. And then you have stale air, moist, you know, or vapor full air. So I always tell everybody to keep one of these guys around your house. So it tells you right now, my house is at 42% moisture, 72 degrees in here in my office. And you want to watch your moisture levels in these newer houses. And you want to be between 25 and 45. So I'm right at the top. So dehumidifiers get turned on this week. And we run dehumidifiers in the house to keep that moisture down. You didn't just have that on here. There's Andy. You, that is you, me in about 10 years. <laughs> you just did not have uh, that on your desk. Did Lisa bring that over and set that up for you or what? The tree hugger? No, you're a little, you're a little. No, I'm a weirdo. I actually have those on all uh, zones in my house. I'm mm -hmm. joking. It's on my desk. Um, I have them. I, you know, I've got, you know, four different zones, you know, one for my office. I'm above my garage. I have one in my basement, one in my main floor, one in my bedroom level. Okay. I'm a weirdo, but I, I like to manage that stuff. Yeah, it's good. Your house will last. So it's happening in the market. We've got a lot of fun things coming uh, on the market. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. So um, kind of getting people ready to move again. Seems like there's more coming on. Uh, and 
things are actually lasting a week or two. I, I've got one listing that um, I think it's just so interesting. People are saying, well, is it sold already? I'm, I'm thinking about showing it. And I said, I've had about 10 people ask the same thing. And uh, no, we, we don't we don't have offers yet. And it was just kind of, uh, it's just interesting because you got to get, I, I think, you know, with obviously the nice weather and the sun and getting out of school and all that, some people tend to slow down um, and going and, and showings are a little lesser. Um, but there's some that it, it's a crazy thing again, you know, and it just and it keeps staying that way. But the, the upper bracket market is, is really strong. At least I, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity again, Chris, you know, for buyers. Um, get out there because the rates are so fantastic. And it, it has slowed down a little bit to where you can look at three houses, sleep on it, and then go back the next day and write an offer. Um, you're not you're not going to get away with writing at a half price, but no. you, you might be able to get closing costs or you might be able to have them look at a contingency because people are used to seeing 30 showings the first day, 15 offers, and that's just not happening right now in today's market. I'm seeing it where, the, the, of course, there's always the exceptions, but I'm seeing exactly what you just said, Chris. Houses are listing and they're on the market three, four, five, six days. And then they're getting an offer. Um, you know, people are scared to show houses because they don't think they're available, and they are. So this is one of those weird opportunities, like you said. I think it's more opportunistic based, where, like you said, people are heading to the cabin or they're going on vacation or whatever, um, versus um, the market slowing. Yeah, yeah. I think you know, you, uh, Mr. Fife, right. you might have to. Uh, well, uh, dude, I I love that guy. Fife. Remember life I literally love that guy. He's one of my all-time favorites. <laughs> He's there's nobody quite like him. That is for sure. That's why you, you remember the you remember the first time we met him, and we we met and we were uh, back when we were doing our deal at CCO, and you said you got to meet this guy and you got to meet this guy, and we met him. We were at a restaurant. You remember that? And I left that restaurant and I go, I think I just met the first guy in my life that out energyed me. You should oh see the first the first time I met him. I was, I was uh, a mutual friend of ours set us up, and he was going to do some calling for us on our, our lead system at the time, which is Boomtown. And um, yeah. he uh, he came in. We met at Perkins, and all this guy comes in, and I mean the whole room hears him because ah oh, yeah what you know he's talking super loud. So all yeah. I did is I saw myself kind of like yes John, what do you, what do you think? And I'm trying to talk lower, so he talks lower. And then I said, whatever, yeah, whatever. The whole group, the whole restaurant's going to know about it. Yeah, well, I tell you what, uh, if you're looking for a great real estate agent, he's, he's fantastic. Puts all that energy to work for you as a client, and I highly recommend him. Yeah. Well, he's done many things for me that takes off at midnight or 2.30 in the morning. And I don't I don't think he sleeps. But, but he had an unfortunate thing. I don't know if you saw his house burn down. No. Yeah. Yeah, it burned down. So now they're refixing it. He has been in a rental. Now they're refixing it. So, um, oh, jeez, yeah, started to hear that. Yeah, started in the garage, and uh, yeah, so that was his office. That was his life. Him and his dogs, and I know, and his three pounds of bacon every morning for breakfast. And well, they ran a daycare out of their place too. It's yes. like get all the kids out. It was during that, and, and then one oh. dog was left. And I guess this is totally five. He grabbed the dog and opened the lower window, and he did like he was going for a touchdown. He dove out, and I guess some wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah. Wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah, he ended up having to go to the hospital. He had a little too much smoke in himself. Yeah. Oh, 
I didn't hear that, man. Yeah. Love to take him out to lunch and yeah, and catch up with him. You might you want to the lake. You guys hitting the lakes, the summer lakes. I I've been. I live on it, so it's really been uh, it's it's been fun uh, out on the water. But now I'm now I'm learning how to control weeds. I'm a weed fighter. Yeah. Boy, those those weeds, my goodness! If you didn't put your your anti weed spread, you know, I I use that Aquaside. If you didn't get it done early this year, you are in for a fun summer uh, harvesting. I got a scuba diver coming because I, yep. I will not I will not put up with those things. And then my I mom and dad they love it. By the yeah. way, yeah, they do the scuba same thing. They bring out like four guys and they have like surfboards that float and they go down and they hand pull each weed up from the bottom out of the sand and they they it like works the soil. It's fantastic. It's just expensive. Yeah. And, and I, I shouldn't, it's probably one of the higher cost ways to do it, but it's also natural and no chemical, which a lot of people appreciate. Yeah. Should bring those guys on. That might be a good interview for us. These kids were nuts. They came over the other day and this one kid swam out there because he had to find the density of the weeds. And it's kind of like, I mean, there's snapping turtles in there. I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, we'll just punch him in the head or something. I'm like, go ahead. Not me. Yeah. Anyways, I think we went over a lot of building things. Um, if the listeners have any questions, they should just direct message the Real Estate Radio Hour Facebook page. Other than that, make sure to subscribe, like, write a review. It's on iTunes, Spotify. Go to Anchor. It's listed about 10 other different uh, platforms we're on. Okay. And, yeah, shoot us any other questions or topics that you'd like uh, us to focus on. Final words, hey, guys? Hold on, Nick. Get, we want you. We want some of these contractors too. I'm looking for deck guys, contractors, fence guys, siding guys, window guys, roofing guys. We want to get some people on here. So as we're getting into the midsummer interviews for people, um, get them on here. Talk about their products. Talk about their services. So if you guys know of anybody, if you're listening, um, please refer them back to us. We'd love to talk to them and get them on the show and, and share that great resource with everybody listening. Sorry. Fantastic. Ciao, ciao. Ciao. Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.